Mountain Man by Robert Howard. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Mountain Man by Robert Howard. I was robbing a bee tree when I heard my old man calling, Breckenridge, oh Breckenridge, where air you? I see you now. You don't need to climb that tree. I ain't gonna larrup you. He come up and said, Breckenridge, ain't that a bee settin' on your ear? I reached up and sure enough it was. Come to think about it, I had felt kind of like something was stinging me somewhere. I swore, Breckenridge, said Pap, I never seen a hide like yourn. Now listen to me. Old Buffalo Rogers is back from Tomahawk, and the postmaster there said they was a letter for me from Mississippi. He wouldn't give it to nobody but me or some of my folks. I don't know who'd be writing me from Mississippi. Last time I was there was when I was fighting the Yankees. But anyway, that letter is got to be got. Me and your ma has decided you're to go get it. You hear me, Breckenridge? Clean the tomahawk, I said. Gee whiz, Pap. Well, he said, combing his beard with his fingers, you're growed in size, if not in years. It's time you've seen something of the world. You ain't never been more than thirty miles away from the cabin you was born in. Your brother John ain't able to go on account of that bar he tangled with, and Bill is busy skinning the bar. You've been to where the trail passes, going to Tomahawk. All you gotta do is foller it, and turn to the right where it forks. The left goes on the perdition. Well, I was all eager to see the world, and the next morning I was off, dressed in new buckskins and riding my mule Alexander. Pap rode with me a few miles and give me advice. Be careful how you spend that dollar I give you, he said. Don't gamble. Drink in reason. Half a gallon of corn juice is enough for any man. Don't be tetchy, but don't forget that your pap was once the rough and tumble champeen of Gonzales County, Texas. And whilst you're feeling for the other fellow's eye, don't be careless and let him chaw your ear off. And don't resist no officer. What's them, Pap? I inquired. Down in the settlements, he explained, they has men which their job is to keep the peace. I don't take no stock in law myself, but them city folks is different from us. You do what they says, and if they says give up your gun, why, you up and do it. I was shocked. I meditated a while and then says, how can I tell which is them? They'll have a silver star on their shirt, he says. So I said I'd do like he told me. He reined around and went back up the mountain, and I rode on down the path. Well, I camped that night where the path come out onto the main trail, and the next morning I rode on down the trail feeling like I was a long way from home. I hadn't went far till I passed a stream and decided I'd take a bath. So I tied Alexander to a tree and hung my buckskins nearby, but I took my gun belt with my old cap and ball forty-four and hung it on a limb reaching out over the water. There was thick bushes all around the hole. Well, I dived deep, and as I come up, 
I had a feeling like somebody'd hit me over the head with a club. I looked up, and there was a fella holding on to a limb with one hand and leaning out over the water with a club in the other hand. He yelled and swung at me again, but I div, and he missed, and I come up right under the limb where my gun was hung. I reached up, grabbed it, and let bam at him just as he dived into the bushes, and he let out a squall and grabbed the seat of his pants. The next minute I heard a horse running and glimpsed him tearing away through the brush on a pinto mustang, setting his horse like it was a red-hot stove. And, dern him, he had my clothes in one hand. I was so upsot by this that I missed him clean, and jumping out I charged through the bushes and saplings, but he was already out of sight. I knowed it was one of them dern renegades which hid up in the hills and snuck down the steel, and I wasn't afraid none, but what a fix I was in. He'd even stole my moccasins. I couldn't go home in that shape without the letter and admit I'd missed the robber twice. Pap'd larp the tar out of me, and if I went on, what if I met some women in the valley settlements? I don't reckon they was ever a youngster half as bashful as what I was in them days. Cold sweat bust out all over me. At last, in desperation, I buckled my belt on and started down the trail toward Tomahawk. I was desperate enough to commit murder to get me some pants. I was glad the Indian didn't steal Alexander, but the going was so rough I had to walk and lead him cause I kept to the brush alongside the trail. He had a tough time getting through the bushes, and the thorns scratched him so he hollered, and ever now and then I had to lift him over jagged rocks. It was tough on Alexander, but I was too bashful to travel in the open trail with no clothes on. After I'd gone maybe a mile, I heard someone in the trail ahead of me, and peeking through the bushes I seen a most peculiar sight. It was a man on foot, going the same direction as me, and he had on what I instinctively guessed was city clothes. They wasn't buckskin, and was very beautiful with big checks and stripes all over them. He had on a round hat with a narrow brim and shoes like I hadn't never seen before, being neither boots or moccasins. He was dusty, and he cussed as he limped along. Ahead of him I seen the trail made a horseshoe bend, so I cut straight across and got ahead of him, and as he come along I stepped out of the bush and threw down on him with my cap and ball. He throwed up his hands and hollered, Don't shoot! I don't want to, mister, I said, but I got to have clothes. He shook his head like he couldn't believe I was so, and he said, You ain't the color of a engine, but what kind of people live in these hills anyway? Most of them's Democrats, I said, but I got no time to talk politics. You climb out of them clothes. My God, he wailed. My horse threw me off and run away. I've been walking for hours, expecting to get scalped by engines any minute, and now a naked lunatic on a mule. 
demands my clothes. It's too much. I can't argue, mister, I said. Somebody may come up the trail any minute. Hustle. So saying, I shot his hat off to encourage him. He gave a howl and shucked his duds in a hurry. My underclothes, too, he demanded, shivering, though it was very hot. Is that what them things is, I demanded, shocked. I never heard of a man wearing such womanish things. The country's going to the dogs, just like Pap says. You better get going. Take my mule. When I get to where I can get some regular clothes, we'll swap back. He clumb up on Alexander kind of dubious and said to me, despairful, Will you tell me one thing? How do I get the tomahawk? Take the next turn to the right, I said. And just then, Alexander turned his head and seen them underclothes on his back, and he gave a loud and ringing bray and sought sail down the trail at full speed with a stranger hanging on with both hands. Before they was out of sight, they come to where the trail forked, and Alexander took the left instead of the right and vanished amongst the ridges. I put on the clothes, and they scratched my hide something fierce. I hadn't never worn nothing but buckskin. The coat split down the back, and the pants was too short, but the shoes was the worst. They pinched all over. I throwed away the socks, having never worn none, but put on what was left of the hat. I went on down the trail and took the right-hand fork, and in a mile or so I come out on a flat and heard horses running. The next thing, a mob of horsemen bust into view. One of them yelled, There he is! And they all come for me, full tilt. Instantly, I decided that the stranger had got to Tomahawk after all, and set a posse onto me for stealing his clothes. So I left the trail and took out across the sage-grass, and they all charged after me, yelling for me to stop, while them darn shoes pinched my feet so bad I couldn't hardly run. So, after I'd run five or six hundred yards, I perceived the horses were beginning to gain on me. So I wheeled with my cap and ball in my hand, but I was going so fast when I turned, them darn shoes slipped, and I went over backwards into some cactus just as I pulled the trigger. So I only knocked the hat off the first horseman. He yelled and pulled up his horse right over me nearly, and as I drawed another bead on him, I seen he had a bright shiny star on his shirt. I dropped my gun and stuck up my hands. They swarmed round me, cowboys from their looks. The man with the star dismounted and picked up my gun and cussed. What did you lead us this chase through this heat and shoot at me for, he demanded. I didn't know you was an officer, I said. Hell, McVeigh, said one of them. You know how jumpy Tenderfeet is. Likely he thought we was Santry's outlaws. Where's your horse? I ain't got none, I said. Got away from you, Hanf, said McVeigh. Well, climb up behind Kirby here. Let's get going. To my astonishment, the sheriff stuck my gun back in the scabbard, and I clumb up behind Kirby, and away we went. Kirby kept telling me not to fall off, and it made me mad, but I said nothing. After an hour or so, we come to a bunch of houses they said was Tomahawk. 
I got panicky when I saw all them houses and would have jumped down and run for the mountains, only I knowed they'd catch me with them dern pinchy shoes on. I hadn't never seen such houses before. They was made out of boards, mostly, and some was two stories high. To the northwest and west, the hills riz up a few hundred yards from the back of the houses, and on the other sides there was plains with brush and timber on them. You boys ride into town and tell the folks that the shebang starts soon, said McVeigh. Me and Kirby and Richards will take him to the ring. I could see people milling around in the streets, and I never had no idea there was that many folks in the world. The sheriff and the other two fellows rode round the north end of the town and stopped at an old barn and told me to get off. So I did. We went in, and they had a kind of room fixed up in there with benches and a lot of towels and water buckets. The sheriff said, This ain't much of a dressing room, but it'll have to do. Us boys don't know much about this game, but we'll second, good as we can. One thing. The other fella ain't got no manager or seconds neither. How do you feel? Fine, I said, but I'm kind of hungry. Go get him something, Richards, said the sheriff. I didn't think they ate just before about, said Richards. Oh, I reckon he knows what he's doing, said McVeigh. Go on. So Richards left, and the sheriff and Kirby walked round me like I was a prize bull and felt my muscles, and the sheriff said, By golly, if size means anything, our dough is as good as in our breeches right now. My dollar was in my belt. I said I would pay for my keep, and they haw-hawed and slapped me on the back and said I was a great joker. Then Richards came back with a platter of grub with a lot of men wearing boots and guns, and they stomped in and gawped at me. McVeigh said, Look him over, boys. Tomahawk stands or falls with him today. They started walking around me like him and Kirby done, and I was embarrassed and ate three or four pounds of beef and a quart of mashed potatoes and a big hunk of white bread and drunk about a gallon of water because I was pretty thirsty. And they all gaped at me like they were surprised about something, and one of them said, How come he didn't arrive on the stagecoach yesterday? Well, said the sheriff, the driver told me he was so drunk they left him at Bisney, and came on with his luggage, which is over there in the corner. They got a horse and left it there with instructions for him to ride to Tomahawk as soon as he sobered up. Me and the boys got nervous today when he didn't show up, so we went out looking for him and met him hoofing it down the trail. I bet them perdition hombres start something, said Kirby. Ain't one of em showed up yet. They're settin' over at perdition, soakin' up bad liquor and broodin' on their wrongs. They sure wanted this show staged over there. They claim that since Tomahawk was furnishin' one half of the attraction and Gunstock the other, the Razee ought to be throwed at perdition. Nothing to it, said McVeigh. It laid between Tomahawk and Gunstock, and we throwed a coin and won. If Perdition wants trouble, she can get it. Is the boys raring to go? Is they, said Richards. Every bar in Tomahawk is crowded with hombres full of liquor and civic pride. They're betting their shirts, and they's been nine fights already. Everybody in Gunstock's here. Well, let's get going, said McVeigh, getting nervous. The quicker it's over, the less blood there's likely to be spilt. 
The first thing I knowed, they'd laid hold of me and was pulling my clothes off. So it dawned on me that I must be under arrest for stealing the stranger's clothes. Kirby dug into the baggage, which was in one corner of the stall, and dragged out a funny-looking pair of pants. I know now they was white silk. I put them on because I hadn't nothing else to put on, and they fit me like my skin. Richards tied an American flag around my waist, and they put some spiked shoes on my feet. I let them do like they wanted to, remembering what Pap said about not resisting an officer. Whilst so employed, I began to hear a noise outside, like a lot of people, whooping and cheering. Pretty soon in came a skinny old gink with whiskers and two guns on, and he hollered, Listen, Mac, darn it, a big shipment of gold is down there waiting to be took off by the evening stage, and the whole blamed town is deserted on account of this foolishness. Suppose Comanche Sentry and his gang gets wind of it. Well, said McVeigh, I'll send Kirby here to help you guard it. You will like hell, said Kirby. I'll resign as deputy first. I got every cent of my dough on this scrap, and I aim to see it. I'll send somebody, said the old codger. I got enough to do running my store and the stage stand and the post office without... He left, mumbling in his whiskers, and I said, Who's that? Aw, oh, said Kirby, that's old man Braxton that runs that store down at the other end of town on the east side of the street. The post office is in there, too. I got to see him, I said. There's a letter. Just then another man came surging in and hollered. Hey, is your man ready? Everybody's getting impatient. All right, said McVeigh, throwing over me a thing he called a bathrobe. Him and Kirby and Richards picked up towels and buckets, and we went out the opposite door from what we come in, and there was a big crowd of people there and they whooped and shot off their pistols. I would have bolted back into the barn, only they grabbed me and said it was all right. We went through the crowd, and I'd never seen so many boots and pistols in my life. And we come to a square pen made out of four posts set in the ground and ropes stretched between. They called this a ring and told me to get in. I'd done so, and they had turf packed down so the ground was level as a floor, and hard and solid. They told me to sit down on a stool in one corner, and I did, and wrapped my robe round me like an engine. Then everybody yelled, and some men, from Gunstock, they said, clumb through the ropes on the other side. One of them was dressed like I was, and I'd never seen such a human. His ears looked like cabbages. His nose was flat, and his head was shaved. He sat down in an opposite corner. Then a fellow got up and waved his arms and hollered, Gents, you all know the occasion of this here suspicious event. Mr. Bat O'Toole, happening to pass through Gunstock, consented to fight anybody that would meet him. Tomahawk allowed to furnish that opposition, by sending all the way to Denver to procure the services of Mr. Bruiser McGurty, formerly of San Francisco. He pointed at me. Everybody cheered, shot off their pistols, and I was embarrassed and bust out in a cold sweat. This fight, said the fellow, will be according to London prize ring rules, same as in a championship go. Bare fist, 
Round ends when one of them's knocked down or throwed down. Fight lasts till one or t'other ain't able to come up to the scratch at the call of time. I, Yucca Blaine, have been selected referee because, being from Chaudier, I got no prejudices either way. Are y'all ready? Time. McVeigh hauled me off my stool and pulled off my bathrobe and pushed me out into the ring. I nearly died with embarrassment, but I seen the fellow they called O'Toole didn't have on no more clothes than me. He approached and held out his hand, so I held out mine. We shook hands, and then without no warning he hit me an awful lick on the jaw with his left. It was like being kicked by a mule. The first part of me which hit the turf was the back of my head. O'Toole stalked back to his corner, and the gunstock boys was dancing and hugging each other, and that tomahawk fellows was growling in their whiskers and fumbling for guns and bowie knives. McVeigh and his men rushed into the ring before I could get up and dragged me to my corner and began pouring water on me. Are ya hurt much? yelled McVeigh. How can a man's fist hurt anybody? I asked. I wouldn't have fell down, only it was so unexpected. I didn't know he was going to hit me. I never played no game like this before. McVeigh dropped the towel he was beating me in the face with and turned pale. Ain't you Bruiser McGurty of San Francisco, he hollered. Nah, I said. I'm Breckenridge Elkins from up in the Humboldt Mountains. I come here to get a letter for Pap. But the stage driver described them clothes, he began wildly. A feller stole my clothes, I explained. So I took some off in a stranger. Maybe he was Mr. McGurdy. What's the matter? asked Kirby, coming up with another bucket of water. Time's about ready to be called. We're sunk, bawled McVeigh. This ain't McGurdy. This is a darned hillbilly which murdered McGurdy and stole his clothes. We're ruined, exclaimed Richards, aghast. Everybody's bet their dough without even seeing our man. They was that full of trust and civic pride. We can't call it off now. Tomahawk is ruined. What'll we do? He's going to get in there and fight his darndest, said McVeigh, pulling his gun and jamming it into my back. We'll hang him after the fight. But he can't box, wailed Richards. No matter, said McVeigh. The fair name of our town is at stake. Tomahawk promised to furnish a fighter to fight this fellow O'Toole, and oh, I said suddenly seeing light. This here's a fight, ain't it? McVeigh gave a low moan, and Kirby reached for his gun, but just then the referee hollered time, and I jumped up and ran at O'Toole. If a fight was all they wanted, I was satisfied. All that talk about rules and the yelling of the crowd had had me so confused I didn't know what it was all about. I hit at O'Toole, and he ducked and hit me in the belly, and on the nose, and in the eye, and on the ear. The blood spurted, and the crowd yelled, and he looked dumbfounded, and gritted between his teeth. Are you human? Why don't you fall? I spit out a mouthful of blood, and got my hands on him, and started chewing his ear, and he squalled like a catamount. Yucca run in and tried to pull me loose, and I gave him a slap under the ear, and he turned a somersault into the ropes. Your man's fightin' foul, he squalled, and Kirby yelled, You're crazy. You see this gun? You holler foul once more, and it'll go off. Meanwhile, O'Toole had broke loose from me and caved in his knuckles on my jaw, and I come for him again, because I was mad by this time. He gasped, 
If you want to make an alley fight out of it, all right. I wasn't raised in five points for nothing. He then rammed his knee into my groan and groped for my eye, but I got his thumb in my teeth and began masticating it, and the way he howled was a caution. By this time the crowd was crazy, and I throwed O'Toole and began to stomp him when somebody let bang at me from the crowd, and the bullet cut my silk belt and my pants started to fall down. I grabbed him with both hands, and O'Toole riz and rushed at me, bloody and bellering. I didn't dare let go of my pants to defend myself, so I whirled and bent over and lashed out backwards with my right heel like a mule, and I caught him under the chin. He done a cartwheel in the air, his head hit the turf, and he bounced on over and landed on his back with his knees hooked over the lower rope. There wasn't no question about him being out. The only question was, was he dead? A great roar of foul went up from the gunstock men, and guns bristled all around the ring. The tomahawk men was cheering and yelling that I'd won fair and square, and the gunstock men was cussing and threatening me when someone hollered, Leave it to the referee. Sure, said Kirby. He knows our man won fair, and if he don't say so, I'll blow his head off. That's a lie, bellered a man from Gunstock. He knows it was foul, and if he says it wasn't, I'll carve his liver with this here bowie knife. At these words, Yucca keeled over in a dead faint. Then a clatter of hooves sounded above the din, and out of the timber that hid the trail from the east, a gang of horsemen rode at a run. Everyone whirled and yelled, Look out! Here comes them perdition illegitimates! Instantly a hundred guns covered them, and McVeigh demanded, Come ye in peace or in war? We come to unmask a fraud, roared a big man with a red bandana around his neck. Now, Gertie, come forth. A familiar figure, now dressed in cowboy togs, pushed forward on my mule. There he is, the figure yelled, pointing at me. That's the desperado which robbed me. Them's my tights he's got on. What's this, roared the crowd. A turn fake, bellered the man with the red bandana. This here is Bruiser McGurdy. Then who's he, someone bawled, pointing at me. My name's Breckenridge Elkins, and I can lick any man here, I roared, getting mad. I brandished my fists in defiance, but my breeches started sliding down again, so I had to shut up and grab them. Aha! The man with the red bandana howled like a hyena. He admits it. I don't know what the idea is, but these tomahawk polecats has double-crossed somebody. I trust that you jackasses from Gunstock realizes the blackness and hellishness of their hearts. This man McGurdy rode into perdition a few hours ago in his unmentionables, a straddle of that there mule, and told us how he'd been held up and robbed and put on the wrong road. You skunks was too proud to stage this fight in perdition, but we ain't the men to see justice scorned with impunity. We brought McGurdy here to show you you was being gypped by Tomahawk. That man ain't no prize fighter. He's a highway robber. These tomahawk coyotes has framed us, squalled a gunstock man going for his gun. You're a liar, roared Richards, bending a forty-five barrel over his head. The next instant, guns was crashing, knives was gleaming, and men was yelling blue murder. 
the gunstock braves turned frothing on the tomahawk warriors, and the men from perdition, yelping with glee, pulled their guns and began fanning the crowd indiscriminately, which gave back their fire. McGurdy gave a howl and fell down on Alexander's neck, gripping around it with both arms, and Alexander departed in a cloud of dust and smoke. I grabbed my gun belt, which McVeigh had hung over the post in my corner, and I headed for cover, holding on to my breeches whilst the bullets hummed round me thick as bees. I wanted to take to the brush, but I remembered that blamed letter, so I headed for town. Behind me there rose a roar of banging guns and yelling men. Just as I got to the backs of the rows of buildings which lined the street, I run into something soft head-on. It was McGurdy trying to escape on Alexander. He had hold of only one rein, and Alexander, evidently having circled one end of the town, was traveling in a circle and heading back where he started from. I was going so fast I couldn't stop, and I run right over Alexander, and all three of us went down in a heap. I jumped up, afraid Alexander was killed, but he scrambled up, snorting and trembling, and then McGurdy weaved up, making funny noises. I poked my cap and ball into his belly. Off with them pants, I yelped. My God, he screamed, again? This is getting to be a habit. Hustle, I bellered. You can have these scandals I got on now. He shucked his breeches, grabbed them tights, and run like he was afeard I'd won his underwear, too. I jerked on the pants, forked Alexander, and headed for the south end of town. I kept behind the buildings, though the town seemed to be deserted, and pretty soon I come to the store where Kirby had told me old man Braxton kept the post office. Guns was barking there, and across the street I seen men ducking in and out behind an old shack and shooting. I tied Alexander to a corner of the store and went in the back door. Up in the front part I seen old man Braxton kneeling behind some barrels with a forty-five ninety, and he was shooting at the fellows in the shack across the street. Every now and then a slug would hum through the door and comb his whiskers, and he would cuss worse than Pap did that time he sat down on a bear trap. I went up to him and tapped him on the shoulder, and he gave a squall and flopped over and let go, bam, right in my face, and singed off my eyebrows. And the fellows across the street hollered and started shooting at both of us. I'd grabbed the barrel of his Winchester, and he was cussing and jerking at it with one hand and feeling in his boot for a knife with the other. I said, Mr. Braxton, if you ain't too busy, I wish you'd give me that there letter which come for Pap. Don't never come up behind me that way again, he squalled. I thought you was one of them dern outlaws. Look out! Duck, you fool! I let go of his gun, and he took a shot at a head which was aiming around the shack, and the head let out a squall and disappeared. Who are them fellas? I asked. Comanche Santry and his bunch from up in the hill, snarled old man Braxton, jerking the lever of his Winchester. They come after that gold. A hell of a sheriff McVeigh is. Never sent me nobody. And them fools over at the ring are making so much noise, they'll never hear the shooting over here. Look out! Here they come! Six or seven men rushed out from behind the shack and run across the street, shooting as they come. I seen I'd never get my letter as long as all this fighting was going on, so I unslung my old cap and ball and let Bam at him three times. Three of the outlaws fell across each other in the street, and the rest turned and run behind the shack. 
Good work, boy, yelled old man Braxton. If I ever... Oh, Judas Iscariot, we're blowed up now. Something was pushed around the corner of the shack and come rolling down toward us, the shack being on higher ground than the store was. It was a keg with a burning fuse which whirled as the keg revolved and looked like a wheel of fire. What's in that keg? I asked. Blastin' powder, screamed old man Braxton, scrambling up. Run, you turn fool, it's coming right into the door. He was so scared he forgot all about the fellows across the street, and one of them caught him in the thigh with a buffalo rifle. He plunked down again, howling blue murder. I stepped over into the door. That's when I got the slug in my hip, and the keg hit my legs and stopped. So I picked it up and heaved it back across the street. It hadn't no more than hit the shack when, bam, it exploded, and the shack went up in smoke. When it stopped raining pieces of wood and metal, there wasn't any sign to show any outlaws had ever hid behind where that shack had been. I wouldn't have believed it if I hadn't saw it, old man Braxton moaned faintly. Are you hurt bad, Mr. Braxton? I asked. I'm dying, he groaned. Plum dying. Well, before you die, Mr. Braxton, I said, would you mind giving me that there letter for Pap? What's your pap's name? he asked. Roarin' Bill Elkins, I said. He wasn't hurt as bad as he thought. He reached up, got hold of a leather bag, and fumbled in it, pulled out an envelope. I remember telling old Buffalo Rogers I had a letter for Bill Elkins, he said, fingering it over. Then he said, Hey, wait, this ain't for your pap. My sight's getting bad. I read it wrong the first time. This is for Bill Elston that lives between here and perdition. Now, I want to spike a rumor, which says I tried to murder old man Braxton and tore his door down for spite. I've done told how he got his leg broke, and the rest was accidental. When I realized that I had went through all that embarrassment for nothing, I got so mad and disgusted, I turned and ran out of the back door. And I forgot to open the door, and that's how it got tore off the hinges. I then jumped on to Alexander and forgot to untie him from the store. I kicked him in the ribs, and he bolted, and tore loose that corner of the building, and that's how come the roof to fall in. Old man Braxton inside was scared, and started yelling bloody murder, and about that time a lot of men come up to investigate the explosion which had stopped the three-cornered paddle between Perdition, Tomahawk, and Gunstock, and they thought I was the cause of everything, and they all started shooting at me as I rode off. Then was when I got that charge of buckshot in my back. I went out of Tomahawk and up the hill trail so fast, I bet me and Alexander looked like a streak, and I says to myself, the next time Pap gets a letter at the post office, he can come after it hisself, cause it's evident that civilization ain't no place for a boy which ain't reached his full growth and strength. End of Mountain Man